Welcome to Cinemascope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to Cinemascope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to Cinemascope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. You have lofty ambitions. I do, but you know, I have these, these are ambitions to, uh, you know, mature things around here. Mm-hmm. This ramshackle backwater shed of a podcast yeah we need to get it out of the teenage years <laughs> <laughs> technically we're still toddlers <laughs> yeah uh I, I thought it was more like we were cat years okay <laughs> <laughs> um so what did you see this week anything good uh you know i i didn't i didn't see anything nothing not a, not, not a sausage i did mm-hmm. do you know what i finally saw you let me guess I'm going to guess, okay? You finally saw Chevy Chase's masterpiece, Funny Farm. Finally. 
I was so glad to get check that one off my bucket list, my cinematic uh, bucket list. No, you know what I saw? I saw Into the Woods. Oh, I still haven't seen that one and desperately want to. It was delightful. Good. It was really fun. Yes. I mean, really fun. We had a blast. I think, uh, I don't know if it was that, you know, Sondheim was so involved in the production of this film, but it, they, I had a blast watching this movie. And I know it's, it's one of those that seems to generate kind of binary responses. Either you love it or you hate it. But uh, I, I had a wonderful time. I, I know the music uh, well. And I think one of the things that they did, you know, so well about with, in terms of the music is just, I, maybe it's just the nature of it being a movie, but my goodness, uh, were they accurate with a, an incredibly complex score. Uh, all of the vocalists with, you know, I think the worst of the bunch who was still quite good uh, was Chris Pine um, as um, Cinderella's Prince. And he was still fantastic. What a treat to watch. I, actually, I take it. I take it back. There was definitely a worst. Um, and that was Johnny Depp. That's what I've heard. Oh, my goodness. But to be fair, yeah. the the wolf part, I think, has always been rather underwritten. Well, and that's why usually it's played by the Cinderella's Prince, right? That, well, that's what for makes the stage, it, sure, for yeah. the stage, yeah. And that's and so the wolf part it's a it's a walk it's a walk on. So right. you know what are you going to do? But you know, as long as it's going to be, you're going to put a big name like Johnny Depp in it. Yeah, do something with it. Yeah, and and it's just he he flagged. Uh, you know, they made these choices to flag some of the really most intense parts of the music, uh, and they didn't make him the wolf. I think they were going more for this, um, you know, oh, it's Johnny Depp. We can't cover his face kind of a thing. And so they ended up going with, he's the dirty old man. Um, yeah, you the, know. the child rapist. It, sort yeah, of and, and it, 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 didn't, it didn't play. I think part of the reason it didn't play is because the girl is so young compared to how it is usually staged. You right. know, you end up having a young-looking woman yeah. Um, you know, playing Red Riding Hood, but in this case, she she was a young girl, and and it ended up kind of not playing very well. Something was definitely off. Jack was a treat. He was he was definitely a young young boy. I I don't I can't replace his name, but uh, he was really great. And uh, James Corden, the the uh, baker, um, his first sort of lead role. No. Yes. Uh, was didn't he already do the? He was the lead in the one about the. Uh... The um, Britain's Got Talent guy, the opera singer. Oh, no, you're right. You're right. I didn't see that one. That's right. Well, I didn't either. I just remember the trailer, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess he was, but this he was really terrific. And, uh, and I only say that because I swear I heard him interviewed saying that this was his first lead role, but maybe they... Maybe they did things out of order. I well, it, maybe his you know, first yeah. you know, internationally yeah. reaching big role. Yeah. I don't know. So, uh, but he was, he was really great. The only thing I, I think I've seen him in was, uh, begin, begin again. Is that the recent one, uh, about the musicians? Uh, he's a, he's a bit part, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, it with Kira Knightley and, um, oh, Mark yeah, Ruffalo. yeah, yeah, I missed it, that one. It was, it was really lovely. That one was also, it was very, very much a formula, but it was a formula that I found really satisfying. Um, so that's definitely one to see. It's very romantic. Gotcha. I watched it alone on a plane. Oh, mm. that sounds really depressing. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, did you get your uh, did you get your whole thing straightened out? Your whole movie thing? I mean, because I know you've got we've got people now sending you tweets of good wishes, saying if you want to swap <laughs> some credits from from Amazon Coac. Right, right, right. Uh, no, I'm, I'm sorting it out. I'm, I'm going to figure something out. <laughs> so uh, awesome to have people write to you that in in that way, shape, and form. Right, exactly. Hey, we'll swap with you. That's so good. I know. Yeah. Start start this chain. This is the whole Amazon international it, swap. Exactly. Going on. You know, we should do something. There's got to be something we can do like that. It's like an Amazon international treasure hunt or something uh, in credits. Uh, what what else I, I i know we aren't doing trailers yet but just before we started recording uh and you can know that this will be my trailer next week ted 2 dropped yeah i i was wondering if you're going to talk about that one tonight but... i'm not because i'm already like sunk in on my i'm, I'm really committed to my trailer for tonight <laughs> but it looks really funny it looks really funny i, I... loved ted so much I still haven't seen it. I'm not that <gasps> excited about it. I'm not that excited about the sequel. I haven't watched the trailer yet. Jesus. Well, they're not very excited about you either. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have any news for the hit. people, you buzzkilled, joyless? Well, did you hear about... Maybe it's because we had an intense heat wave here. Did you hear about that? No, I was too too concerned with <laughs> the intense uh, snowmageddon happening on the East Coast. You guys got heat in Arizona? Kel surprise. Uh, I know. Well, it is January. But no, the uh, <laughs> the weatherman at one of our stations was uh, doing the weather, and there was a glitch in his, uh, in his uh, readings on his screen. And the temperatures at different cities around the valley all of a sudden were appearing as like 750 degrees. <laughs> He's like, oh, boy, they're, they're toasty down there. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, 1,400 degrees, 2,300 degrees. <laughs> And he just went right along with it, just flawlessly. <laughs> just like you know, I I don't really have, know if I have the authority, but you know, I think it's seven hundred. I don't have the authority to, to evacuate a city, but if it were up to me, I'd get out. <laughs> I think I think still boils at this temperature. If you're up here, there's nothing left. It's not even <laughs> worth lo- going and looting there. Uh, it was it was uh, one of the funniest newscasts I'd seen. It just. Just a great treat, but uh. <laughs> that's awesome. You could just see it. I think uh, I think I'm going to take the authority. We're now going to broadcast in Kelvin, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's fantastic. Well, so you're okay then? I, I, somehow I miraculously miraculously survived. So that's good. I get I get worried about you down there. It's because I was indoor vacuuming rocks, squishing <laughs> scorpions. <laughs> That's what we do down here. Shall we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? Hey, everybody. It's the next reel. I'm Pete Wright. That there, Andy Hot Stuff Nelson. And we spoil movies tonight on the show number four in our series in the early works of Sir Alec Guinness, the black comedy The Lady Killers. 
Uh, but before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com. You should follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And if you're uh, of the species of Instagramia, of the genus specifically uh, specifically photogenic tiger moths in the Aridibi family, you might want to join us at Instagram.com slash thenextreel and play the Instagram hashtag pony prize, hashtag no Mr. Tilkvist, I don't think it's a testicle, hashtag standy versus the people, hashtag guess the movie challenge, Andy. How do we do against the villainous throng this week? I'm not even sure what you're talking about with all of that. <laughs> you know, we didn't get very far this week. This no. Was, this no, this was a little, a little bit uh, kind of going back to the, uh, the good old-fashioned uh, spankings that we've had a few times <laughs> in the past. Uh, yes, an Instagram spank. Uh, the so Instagram spank. Yeah, it was uh, just just getting started. Two images in. When Paz Malti figured it out, nailed it, that it was indeed Monster's Ball, the uh, uh, the film from, uh, gosh, what year did that come out? It came out in 2001. Mark Forster directed it with Billy Bob Thornton and Halle Berry. And, uh, yeah, Paz Malti nailed it pretty wow. quickly. And that was that. <laughs> that was an easy, low-hanging fruit for Paz Malti. Clearly, clearly, Pazmalti nailed it and uh, is entered to win the Pony Prize for uh, the 2015 drawing. Well, hey, uh, don't forget, everybody, if you haven't visited thenextreel.com and clicked on the t-shirt in the sidebar to order your very own, we're cutting them off. So get them now before February hits and they're all gone. Still American Apparel, still soft, and yes, still designed by a friend of the show, Joel Micah Harris at joemiha.net. Support the show. Get a shirt. Back me up, Chad. Be a movie nerd. <laughs> there you go. Let's do trailers. I I had a totally different trailer picked out. Wait, what? Uh, well, oh, I told you. Do I you. know? Yeah. Are you surprising me now? No, no, no. I oh, sent okay. it to you. I oh, sent good. It to okay, you. so this is the one I know. Yeah. I sent I, I sent you the trailer. Because I've that already I was forgotten both of them. I've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> I had I had it was it was the Shakespeare one that I had picked out. Oh, you know I didn't actually watch that one, and then you sent oh. me the other one, so I just right. forgot the first one altogether. I forgot I even picked it. No. Yeah. So, uh, but this one I saw the trailer. And I'm like, gosh, I really should talk about this one because I mean, granted, I'm not an Oscar-winning screenwriter, but I do teach screenwriting at uh, at uh, one of the schools here, and. Um, I thought it was kind of just a, a funny little treat that here's this uh, this film directed by Mark Lawrence called The Rewrite uh, that is about an Oscar-winning writer in a slump who uh, gets out of Hollywood and starts teaching at a college over on the East Coast where he ends up falling for a lovely single mom uh, played by Marissa Tomei who's taking some classes there. Hugh Grant is in it. Uh, uh, Mark Lawrence directed him in uh, Two Weeks Notice. And this, you know... It doesn't look like anything that's going to knock my socks off uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But I just thought the concept was uh, kind of fun. And, uh, you know, Hugh Grant, when he gets into some of these sorts of movies, I can totally get into it and uh, just enjoy it for what it is. This looks like one that I will be enjoying for what it is. I don't think I'm going to get that much out of it. But it looks sweet. And, uh, you know, there's things, there's elements to it that I think look 
enjoyable. J.K. Simmons is in it. Uh, like I said, Marissa Tomei and Allison Janney. And uh, Chris Elliott pops up. So, Do you think you could find me just one job, you know, just any job? There is something. A teacher screenwriting class or Binghamton University. I hate teachers. They're frustrated losers who haven't done anything with their own lives. Keith? Where exactly is Binghamton? Uh, I do also agree with you, though. I was very charmed by this film, I uh, by this trailer. I think it. I think it looks really sweet. I love movies about writers. I love all movies about writers. I really do, and I can't help it. It's just the. <laughs> it's just the way of things. It's the way I'm wired, and so uh, I definitely. I will definitely see this film, and I think I will enjoy it. Yeah, what did you say it when it comes out? Uh, no, it, it actually opened last year in the UK, and. Of course. Uh, I know. They just get everything first now, don't they? <laughs> Those bums. <laughs> uh, but it's going to open, it looks like Valentine's Day weekend here, or at least according to IMDb, uh, in New York City. <laughs> I don't know if it's opening oh. anywhere else. <laughs> Maybe just New York, because they need the love. They need the love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's it, the rewrite. All right, go see the rewrite. I'm casting my vote for Tom, Noomi, and Gary in this thriller... Of Stalinist proportions, Child 44, uh, this is from director Daniel Espinosa, brings Tom Hardy, Numi Rapace, and Gary Oldman together in Stalin's Soviet Union as they uncover the mysterious murder of children in all their most glorious Russian accents. There's been a terrible accident. Alexei's son has been hit by a train. A train? He's claiming his son was murdered. I am sure you realize murder is strictly a capitalist disease. You have to be quiet. There is no murder in this country. There is no murder. Do you understand? Uh, So Espinoza is a Swedish uh, director who brought us uh, 2012's Denzel flick, Safe House. Uh, screenwriter Richard Price has been around a bit longer with a number of uh, films to his credit. 1986's The Color of Money, Sea of Love, Mad Dog and Glory, Clockers, Ransom. I really liked Ransom. Shaft, uh, along with a number of episodes of The Wire. That uh, strikes me as awesome. Uh, I love the setting and the period of Child 44. I, it's just This is the kind of thriller I think I can really sink my teeth into. It's just positioned in such a way that the history of the place and the politics and the people uh, must directly influence the story. And, and so I think if they can live up to that complexity, I'm going to come away happy. So uh, Child 44 hits uh, April 17th, 2015. What do you think? You know, what's funny is um, I watched this trailer. And I'm like, this is so familiar to me. Why is this so familiar to me? And kind the hearts longer... and coronets. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the longer I watched it, I was, I, I just, it was, I was like, I know this story. I have either seen something that is very similar or just something is going on and it's going to make me crazy. So I, I was like, and, and then I figured it out. This was a script on the blacklist back in 2008. Wow. Along Deep with Foxcatcher, I just saw. No kidding. Fox yeah, Foxcatcher was actually on the list back in 2008. And so was Easy A. It's interesting looking back at uh, old lists of this. Up in the Air was on there. Um, and, and just seeing like what films ended up being on the, uh, on the blacklist before they ended up getting made. Wow. But so anyway, we need to wait till 2022 for Rothschild. I guess so. Uh, let's hope not. Let's hope <laughs> yeah, not. that would stink. Yeah. But no, I, I, um, I, I got a hold of the script and I actually read this script 
And uh, and I don't know. I can't remember when it was. I mean, I don't think it was 2008. I feel like it maybe was 2011 or something. But I, I totally read this, and I was like, I, I knew the story. And so it totally tripped me out watching this trailer because I couldn't place it for the longest time. And then uh, when I realized it was a, a Blacklist script, it all clicked. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I totally read this. So I enjoyed you're it. You're watching it thinking somebody's ripped it off. Yeah, I'm like, why do I know this? <laughs> Very funny. Does it? Does the trailer live up to your read of the script? Then, from my recollection, I mean, it's been a while since I read the script, but everything looked very familiar. I, I felt like there was, um, well, I'm not going to say, but there was definitely a lot more stuff going on in the script that they don't even get into in the trailer. So, it. it uh, I'm curious now to see how it ends up playing out. Andy, yes, to simply try for one hour to behave like a gentleman. Using this sweetly innocent old lady as a bewildered, unsuspecting decoy, the hilariously infamous Alec Guinness prepares a masterstroke of villainy that only he could conjure up and carry through with such demoniacal glee. No plot was ever hatched with such satanic cunning as Guinness and his genial group of merry minstrels hit every high note in this delightfully different entertainment. True artists, every one of them. Who'd count the cost of such abandoned banditry? Who wouldn't risk a limb or two to join in such high-spirited highwaymanry? I said to nobody what's to do it. Who is Mrs. Lopsided, may I ask? Alec Guinness triumphantly outdoes his laughter-loaded leadership of the Lavender Hill mob as he involves his gruesome gang of lady killers in the season's most uproarious escapade. 1955, The Lady Killers, uh, directed uh, by Alexander McKendrick, our dear friend, uh, and written by William Rose. Stars. Some say it's the last Ealing Studios, the last great Ealing Studios comedy. Do they say that? Some do. Hmm. Kind of surprised it made it on that list. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I yeah, take I'm, it you're not a fan. It's not that I'm not a fan. It's really not because I I love the idea of the lady killers. I really do. I love the setup. I love these supposedly ruthless criminals planning this ruthless caper, which by all accounts is really sophisticated. I love that it's spoiled by this little old lady who just can't defines herself in the way at every turn, uh, mostly out of politeness. Uh, the structure of the film is fantastic, building coincidence after coincidence that ends up with each of these five criminals killing each other. I, I love it. Uh, and then... Uh, I have to stop and say, gosh, that wasn't very funny. Hmm. I didn't, I didn't laugh. I watched this with my wife and I, I you know, I, I, woe be it uh, for me to say that she's the wet blanket of my movie watching experience. She didn't laugh either. <laughs> we did not find it funny. And I, I, that really surprised me because I, I've seen the film before and I remember laughing more. I think after the, the what I find three supremely funny films leading up to this one, it just doesn't live up to, you know, what we have just watched. Interesting. Well, and I wonder if that's because this one of, of the films that we've talked about so far uh, felt the, more, the, the one that was a little more uh, designed for just kind of a, a laugh rather than 
kind of a, you know, like some of the past ones had a little more feel of sticking it to the man and all that. And I mean, I have read stuff that later uh, Alexander McKendrick, who directed this along with the uh, the writer uh, Rose, um, they actually, um, when McKendrick went back and looked at it, he actually felt that oddly there was this uh, this kind of ironic look at post-war England and you know you've got this this country with these uh the country was almost represented by uh by Mrs. Wilberforce and these different uh these different characters uh represented the the new kind of the new wave of people coming in you know the impoverished uh upper class you've got the foreigners coming in uh, you've got these young juvenile delinquents, which is very important that you're right that these are all distinctly different classes amongst the five. Uh, right, right. Yeah. The brutalized working class, and they all kind of come together. But Britain ends up winning out, and but and this was it wasn't planned that way. It was never meant to kind of um, say anything at the time. It's only in retrospect did McKendrick actually see any of that. So. Knowing that it wasn't planned that way by either him or the writer, um, maybe it seems like yeah, they were just doing it for fun rather than some of the other ones, which might have had a little more, um, at least uh, attempt at trying to say something more important at the time, even think, if it was in the context of a comedy. I don't know. It just felt, uh, it, it really did feel just to me, it was just sort of sluggish. Uh, it took a long time to kind of get moving. I didn't feel any of that sort of the intrigue that I would want to feel in a caper film or the humor that I would want to feel in a comedy. And so it was just a lot of parading uh, and skulking. Uh, and um, uh, and so I was disappointed in that in that way because I really wanted to to just make this be a, a home run uh, in the series. Well, I feel it was a home run in the series. I I had never seen this one before. I'd only seen the Coen Brothers remake. I found myself just laughing constantly through it. I loved the characters. I was into it from the beginning, and I had an absolute blast uh, from beginning to end watching this. Wow. So take that. It's taken. Consider mm-hmm. it taken. <laughs> uh, what? So tell me what was funny. I Just uh, everything. I mean, I thought the characters were brilliant. I, I loved these five criminals. I thought Alec, McG- Alec Guinness. Alec, <laughs> Alec McGinnis. McGinnis. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, I don't know. Alec uh, channeled just this, uh, according to him, this Alistair Sim type of character. I just had... Uh, was marveling uh, by uh, just everything that he did. I thought he created this character that I just couldn't get enough of. I just loved watching everything that uh, that uh, the professor did, and uh, and likewise with the rest of the gang. I loved Herbert Lom. I loved Peter Sellers. Um, I, I loved uh, Cecil Parker. They they all they all brought something to the film that I thought just worked so well. And um, and Danny Green too, as the kind of the big the big thug. I, I just they had this great, strange, awkward chemistry of this of this gang that, by all rights, didn't seem to make sense as a as a group. But there's something about it that I just loved, and I just absolutely 
loved uh, little uh, Miss Wil- Mrs. Wilberforce. I had so much fun watching her from the beginning and like the strange moment when she walks out the door and, and sees the, the the baby carriage and then the baby starts crying. It was like it was a strange moment that you know she here this little old lady, even the baby doesn't want to be around her because the baby can tell that she's just this annoying old lady. But then just like the stuff with the police station and just like all of that stuff. And, and just like you said, her her almost overbearing politeness with everything. And even once she realizes the the, uh, the crime, the way that she interacts with the criminals and how they almost end up becoming these uh, or uh, kind of slowly becoming like, well, I can't kill her. She's too sweet. I'll just make off with the money sorts of gags. And uh, I don't you know, just the whole thing worked perfectly for me. I really enjoyed uh, the the dark, cynical tone that the whole thing had. And, uh, yeah, I, I really just found everything funny. You know, I, that, that's the thing. Like, I'm, I'm with you. I enjoy the, the, the kind of structure of it, the tone of it. I, all of the, everything you're saying about the characters, I really like. You know, Guinness's Professor Marcus, I think, is, is a, a wonderful character. Like, you can just, to me, he just, it just reeks of great comedic potential that is untapped from an, less than funny script but the character is there and i found it wonderful to watch him as professor marcus on screen next to peter sellers playing a completely straight guy uh knowing where peter sellers then goes right and mm-hmm. and you know his as he moves into inspector clouseau and all of those great disguises and uh, you know all the wonderful sort of character and teeth work that peter sellers ends up doing in his career i think is just fantastic and it was great to see them on screen together um you know herbert lom i loved herbert lom's introduction you know and and in general i think the introduction of the characters uh in that the first sort of 5 minutes as we see you know starting with alec guinness and his hat they have this wonderful exchange about the uh you know the windows you know and and, and the wonderful windows in this house uh, this strange house at the end of king's cross you are most kind and if i may say so you have a very curious charming house <laughs> such um pretty windows oh, thank you i'm rather afraid the position i always think the windows are the eyes of a house and didn't someone say the eyes are the windows of the soul I don't really know, but, oh, it's such a charming thought. I, I do hope someone expressed it. Well, au revoir. Good morning, Professor Marcus. Till tomorrow. The setups are, are all great. I love the fact that they all pretend to be a, a string quintet. Uh, that just sits around and listens to the, to the record player. Like, all oh, that's really great. It's just played so quickly, and, and then it's... Uh, sort of lost um so the caper itself uh how do you how do you feel about that did it does it live up to this being kind of a caper film yeah i mean i i, I thought it was all fine I, I thought it was very clever the way that they set this whole thing up to essentially um because they knew they wouldn't be able to rob this uh uh this truck and hop onto the train and make off with it they actually take it to the train station and make it look like a package that's just arrived and have Mrs. Wilberforce go to pick it up. And I, I thought that was very fun and I, I, it worked really well. And, you know, the best part of that whole thing, because of her interfering uh, ways, that whole exchange that she has in the street with the, the, the cart, the guy with the cart and, the, and his horse and all of that. Um, but how, and, and, you know, that was one moment where I, I didn't quite, 
I didn't quite buy into it because, I mean, I don't know. That always bothers me. It's like, you know, the horse is eating his apples. Don't get on him. It's not his fault uh, that that he's, you know, trying to get rid of the horse because, you know, this somebody else's horse is eating his produce. Um, but, you know, that's just me. But I, um, I, I loved the fact that she ends up going to the police station and they drive by and they see their trunk full of all this money that they've just stolen sitting right in front of the police station and they can't do anything about it. And then there, and then one of them is uh, Cecil Parker's back at the, at the house trying to figure out what happened. And then, and then she ends up getting dropped off by the police with this, uh, with this luggage. And I just thought, I thought that whole, the whole robbery and the fact that the police end up bringing it to their house for them. I I thought that was just a a brilliant little bit. I I agree. That was a nice twist. Uh, You know, as he said, (laughs) I hope hope none of you are suggesting that we steal it as they drive (laughs) by as it's sitting in front of the police station. Uh, There there are definitely some some cute uh, moments um, uh, in there. Um, The the chasing of the parrot, the parrots in general— um, you know, there are some some nice little turns of, of phrase as, as she says, you know, uh, she's talking about how she lost her parrots. But, you know, did she have four husbands? Uh, no, I didn't have four husbands. I had four parrots. Now I only uh. have three. And then one of them gets away because he won't take his medicine. And then there's this this whole little uh, slapstick bit as they try to, to chase down the parrot, this gang of thugs, which, you know, how they plan to steal money. Uh, when they can't catch a parrot uh, is pretty funny. But it it does make for a nice setup, too, which I thought this was actually thoughtful structure, that we get to, we get the complete tour of, you know, the rooftops of the house and, the you know, all of the windows and sort of escapes of the house by them chasing the parrot, all five of them chasing the parrot and falling down again, uh, which later is used, you know, as they start offing one another. Uh, and I really like that. It felt like nice, familiar territory. It was nice to bring that set back around. Um, and, um, so that, that, that worked for me a little bit of parallelism. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good way to kind of, uh, set up the landscape so Mm -hmm. that we're going to see, uh, see how it all kind of comes together later. I, I did enjoy that quite a bit too. All right. So other highlights for you. I feel like I'm not going to bring a whole lot to this conversation because I just was, this was such a, it really hit me as such a meh film. That's so strange. I, I really am surprised by that because I mean, this I think is, um, one of my favorites of the bunch that we've watched so far. Really? Yeah. I had an absolute blast watching it. I, you know, it, it, perhaps it's because it is such a black comedy. I mean, it, you know, we're we're <laughs> rooting for these these criminals through the course of it, and, and and these are much darker criminals than the Lavender Hill Mob, which is really just you know very pleasant fellows who are uh, you know just happen to decide that hey, let's do this because we want to do something. We want to just have a little more money. These guys are a little more. Uh, malicious and obviously, uh, based on the title, theoretically at least willing to kind of kill this little old lady in order to get away with the loot. But, but tell um, me, how and, are they more malicious? Like, what gives you a sense that they are are you know these more grim characters? Well, uh, in, in Lavender Hill Mob, they, they would never have killed anybody. No, they, they, would, they no. Would never have. That's what I mean. These guys in in uh, these guys go to that extreme. I mean, they they are the criminals that the Lavender Hill Mob. Uh, recruits, you know, actual criminals. 
those guys in Lavender Hill Mob are wannabe criminals who are just they they figure out this plan, but they actually need real criminals c- to come help them actually pull it off. But where do we These actually guys... see them? Like, where do we actually learn that? Because through the whole well, film, I keep thinking, well, they they could just as well be players. Like, I don't feel like I'm ever given any evidence that they are actually bad guys. Well, it's but it's the nature of of them. We don't get backstories from them. But you know they they come across as criminals. They they've I mean somehow the professor recruits this gang and has them all together. But Herbert Loam has the has the knife. You know he kind of presents himself as he particularly presents himself as more the criminal type. He has kind of a shadier look. He's very suspicious of people. He he's the one who really comes across as one who uh, you know knows how to. Uh, pull these sorts of things off and plan these capers and, and be a part of capers, maybe not plan them, but be a part of them, make them work in order to uh, to make a buck. And uh, Peter although, Sellers... Although, comes- I gotta say, the only time we ever see him get a chance to prove it, he fails, right? It's to kill the old lady, but he hates old ladies, he won't kill old ladies. So they've removed our opportunity to actually see the evidence of him being a really bad guy, and I, so th- I, I think that's why I can't. So go on, Peter Sellers. No, well, no, but I, I mean, I, 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 I see your point, but I don't agree with you because it's, it's that we have that sense of him, of of the backstory of him, and we've got a sense of you know this is a guy. He he comes across as a darker guy. He's got the knife. He's the only one who really has like the knife and and just feels more feels more threatening. And you're right, we don't see them doing anything, but that's that's part of the joke of the film that's the comedy of it that none of these guys are actually able to off this old lady uh peter sellers feels like the newbie he feels like that young punk who's who's trying to get into kind of this darker world of things um and uh and danny green feels just kind of like the the thug that you bring along because you need some muscle yes and and Cecil Parker, uh, honestly, of all of them, he's the one who does feel a little bit more like a Lavender Hill mob element added in here. He doesn't feel like he's quite as uh, quite as up to speed on on these sorts of heists. But uh, uh, but you know, it, it's a heist. They they have they each have their intended role. You know, one is the driver. One is the uh, the one who uh, who does the drop. They all have their little element that they do. And I you know that's that's what. When you're recruiting people for a crime like this, that's what you do. And, you know, I just, I bought into the whole gang. I, I went along with it. I bought into the, the comedy setup of it. And uh, I, I saw the darker element of all the characters, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. This is one of those where I, I, I hear you and I, I, I just don't get it because I, I feel like it was, it, they were stuck for me. The whole gang was stuck for me on that ledge of either let's be funny or let's be dark and we didn't get enough evidence of either to build a compelling case for me to feel one way or the other and that that's i think where i where where the film falls short for me where each of them individually was a treat to watch i, I you know as a group i didn't get it now i i do want to to echo you here katie johnson's miss uh, mrs wilberforce is uh i think she's just a triumph and and she's just it's a treat to see her in this film she was uh, apparently 77 when she uh, made this film it was her one of her last it was her last film um and apparently they were having trouble getting her insured 
that this, mm. she was too old to to get insurance, and she actually said, you know, she she went to McKendrick and said, I'll I'll pay my own insurance to do this, and so uh, they went back and said, no, you're not going to pay your own insurance. But uh, it, what they did at the end, after they they finally got the insurance for her and they they made it through the film, um, you know, because this was such a, a sort of tour de force for her. Um, you know, he went back and asked if they could put her name above the title. And so it says Alec Guinness and Katie, Alec Guinness, Katie Johnson, or Katie Johnson, Alec Guinness, the lady killers, uh, in the initial early promotional material. Hmm. And I think well-deserved. I mean, she's a treat to watch. She's a wonderful character. Um, she, she feels like she's, um, she's sort of, she, to me, she would have been the perfect anchor to a lot more sort of humor going on around her if I were laughing more. Uh, I laughed a lot at her and the way she just sort of interacted with the world. You're right. I loved watching her with the police. Uh, her relationship with the sergeant um, uh, was is just great. Uh, with Jack Warner, uh, is I, I love their relationship. It's almost like she's talking to her son, that, and he just needs to move her on. Um, so there, there was a lot to like about her performance, and it has a great payoff at the end. That that whole bit at the end with the, uh, you know, well, talk uh, about that, yeah, go because ahead and it's keep, it, keep the lolly. It, it's really great because of the setup, right? When when she says we're going to go tell the police, and Peter Sellers goes into his, we we have to keep the money. You can't give the money back, right? It uh, was it, it was just it was a brilliant little bit that they came up with as these guys were trying to convince her that they wouldn't want it back. They already have all this insurance stuff getting processed, and it's just going to create confusion. And she kind of starts buying into the whole thing. Well, she actually does buy into the whole thing, but even that, even with all of that, she feels still feels um, that even though she's going to mess everything up, she needs to do the right thing and report it. And, of course, that sets the whole thing off that they're going to have to kill her. Mrs. Wilberforce, I don't think you quite understand the intricacies of this particular situation. Uh, Let me try to explain, Mrs. Wilberforce. You see, in this case, it would do no good to take the money back. As strange as it may seem to you, nobody wants the money back. Don't expect me to believe that. But it's true, Mrs. Wilberforce. You see, this particular shipment of money was insured. So now the insurance company simply pays to the factory £60,000, and then, in order to recover its money, it puts one farthing on all the premiums, on all the policies for the next year. You see? So how much real harm have we done anybody? One farthing's worth, Mrs. Wilberforce, one farthing's worth. Now, you haven't thought of it like that, had you? Hey, you know what? I never thought of it like that either. Surely it isn't as simple as all that. I assure you, if we tried to take the money back now, it would simply confuse the whole issue. I wouldn't even take it back. That's perfectly true. It just works out so brilliantly because they have this whole setup where she, where the cops don't believe anything she says. Because earlier in the film, we see her telling them about her friend Amelia, who saw a spaceship land in the garden last Wednesday afternoon. And so here she is saying, you know, I, I, I helped with the robbery. I didn't want to, but this is, you know, I, but I have all this money and I just want to return it. And they're like, no, you just go ahead and keep it. And that whole bit just, I, I think, is brilliant. And she's, as she's baffled by the fact that 
you know, she's trying to be honest and truthful and turn this money in, and these cops are doing exactly what the criminals said they would. They're <laughs> they're not accepting it, and her reaction to that is priceless. And then when she walks out and she ends up giving uh, some money to this uh, this uh, you know poor artist, street artist, who and clearly she gave him something uh, rather large. And uh, it it just is. I thought it was just a brilliant little uh, way to kind of end the film. I I did too. I thought that was a, a really charming way to close the film. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, her sort of befuddlement as she walks down the street, as prim and proper as she is. Uh, but right after he they try to catch her with the umbrella, she continuously leaves her umbrella uh, around the, you know everywhere she goes, and and the sergeant comes out and says, "Oh, you forgot this." And uh, she says, "No, I can buy. I can buy loads of them now. I don't need that. Right. I hate that." <laughs> it's just a great. It, it, there's some great little moments with her. I think she was. She was ended up being really well used in this Absolutely. film. Absolutely, yeah. and, and she won a, a, a BAFTA for it. She mm-hmm. won the, the best British actress for the film, and the, I definitely well deserved. She's she becomes such a caretaker of these the the discipline of this crew. Like it, it becomes her job to be the matron and to to you know tell them what to do. And I love that you know that line uh, when her uh, you know tea ladies come uh, and she says you have to for an hour behave like gentlemen right. and makes them sit through tea uh, b- before she can actually go about the scolding of them. Right, uh, like makes Alec Guinness sit at the or uh, the <laughs> professor player, sit at player the, piano. Sit at- player piano pretend he's playing and <laughs> it was just brilliant <laughs> that that was okay that was funny see there's a funny oh you are <laughs> such a cynic uh, there's so many funnies Ugh. i mean i feel like i've kind of uh, gone on about it but just I, again it's just the criminals uh, the, yeah. the criminals they're they're the way they pull this uh this caper off their relationship with each other um, and definitely the way their relationship changes as the story progresses and as they start uh, one by one as they're supposed to be killing her um, and they instead are trying to escape with the money and they end up just killing each other. And just that whole uh, last uh, you know, act of the film where one by one they're chasing each other and getting knocked off mm-hmm. I thought was just so much fun to watch. And the uh, just the the cleverness of it, and just the way that uh, you know they end up each of them dying, leading to the final moment when the professor thinks he's finally victorious, and he ends up, uh, you know, by the hand of God, you could say, uh, yes, <laughs> getting, getting taken out and also dies. I just thought that was brilliant. Very grim. It does get very dark at the end. Uh, with does. the smoke really and the train, does. it was wonderful. I thought it was really wonderfully shot. It was shot by Czech cinematographer Otto Heller, and I think Otto Heller takes the cake. Uh, he takes the top prize for number of credits for his primary function at hmm. 235. Wow. Can you think of anyone that we have talked about that has more? That's a lot. That's a heck of a lot. 235 uh, in his role as a cinematographer. He was know. an actor in four films, and he was camera and electrical department in two. That is a, a mad career. That's bananas from 1918 to 1971. Do you know much of uh, Otto Heller's work? Have you seen all 235? I have, actually. <laughs> Shut it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you, you set up a question like that. I, I know, to say? right? Uh, you know, I haven't. I, I, I only am familiar with a few of them, like Peeping Tom, Richard the Third, Alfie. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the the strangely titled "Can Hieronymus Merkin Ever Forget Mercy Hump and Find True Happiness?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a, Why is that? Uh, Isn't there? Didn't you say it's like a song or something? Uh, I no, I, no. I have never actually heard of that film. Oh, <laughs> you're you're thinking of. Um, uh, Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. I think is maybe the one that maybe I that's it. This one's better. That, Hieronymus yeah, can never forget yeah. Mercy Hump. Exactly. Uh, um, so uh, yeah, I, I've seen nothing else of his that I can find on the list, at least that I remember. Um, but yeah, he's for somebody who's done so much. I feel kind of bad that I've seen so little. That's all right. The next four and a half years, we're going to be doing uh, <laughs> auto Heller films. The first third of his career. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I think the I, the only one I can think of, God, have I seen The Naked Runner? Um, that was a Sinatra film. I can't remember if I've actually seen it. It looks really, really familiar. Uh, but Alfie, definitely. Uh, the Ipcris File. Michael Caine. I have, I have seen Peeping Tom, actually. It's just been, it's been so long that I just... I don't think I, I've I, seen I, Peeping Tom. I'd have to go back and watch it again to just really look at the cinematography to, yeah. to kind of take a take a look at it from that aspect. And and that's that's sort of the sense I get of of the Lady Killers. Like the Lady Killers is really pretty. Uh, it's beautifully staged. Um, you know, sort it it's very much feels like a stage film. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's also got that fantastically uh, just off, slightly off looking Technicolor. Yes. Yeah. Which uh, I really enjoy. It is, and it was a surprise when it came on in color after the last three movies that we watched. Right, um, yeah. It, it was. It was just slightly skewed. Everything about the film was just slightly skewed. Uh, even her house, which I thought was wonderfully captured, and I think it's. I think it's a challenge to capture intentionally broken things, like when, like the house, like everything's at an off angle. But in order to capture it so that it really looks like it's at an off angle, that takes <laughs> takes kind of a gift. Uh, and and I think they. I think it it does really well. But but you don't really get a sense for um, the drama that comes out of you know, what otherwise is just kind of a set film, uh, until we get outside, you know, at the very, I think the, the climax of the film is they're running around. Um, they, they really, you know, it starts feeling much more black and white, you know, particularly as the train goes by and we see this, these wonderful plumes of white smoke and, and, um, uh, the professor's kind of skulking around, you know, waving his arms in and out of the white smoke. I thought was really, really nice. I enjoyed the, the overall look of it quite a bit. Uh, the music, uh, Tristan Carey, I love the music. I, I thought it really had a great vibe to it. There's something um, that just it worked really well with the uh, uh, just kind of the tone of the film, kind of that that dark comedic tone. It had this kind of uh, just a nice vibe to it, and I thought it worked well also balancing the uh, the music that the uh, th- these guys were feigning to be playing. What do you know about? Uh, Tristan Carey's history. Anything? Um, I don't know I was, much, but I was looking at his Doctor Who credits. Was he? He didn't write the original theme. He wrote music for it. Um, I don't know if he wrote the original theme, but he did write music uh, for the first Dalek story. Okay, but that's uh, that's all I could find. But I mean, he's he's an interesting British composer. That um, you know, he I guess created the first electronic music studio of the Royal College of Music. Um, definitely somebody who 
explored different types of music quite a bit and uh, did a lot of film and TV, but also did a lot of other other stuff, a lot of orchestral, uh, chamber, vocal, electroacoustic, um, some theater, stuff like that. So he was kind of all over the place with his music. Well, I'm I'm with you on this film in particular. I thought the score was really quite nice, and I think you're. I, I think that's a, a a really great point that the music really did a great job of kind of pairing with the the score that these guys kept playing over and over and over again, uh, and um, it, it just made a nice package for the yes. the caper itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I watched this. I couldn't tell. I, I actually it was only in the credits when I saw Peter Sellers was in this film. I didn't even recognize him. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't even recognize that dumb. I didn't even That's see pretty it. Pretty funny. Yeah. Is it funny? Is that the word? I, uh, well, <laughs> I guess that's a word for it. Um, I, that's strange because I didn't have any problem recognizing him. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's also because, I mean, this was, like I said, a film I'd never seen before. I saw his name um, on the poster or on the credits somewhere before I even watched it. So I just knew going in that he was in here. Yeah, I, I, well, and even after I, it was actually my wife who pointed out, she says, oh, yeah, so Peter Sellers was in this. I was like, who was he? I had to go through each of the characters and figure it out. so funny. Yeah, I know. Rank amateur. That is too funny. Um, Other points that you, uh, you want to get in there? Anything else jump out? Um, Well, it did, uh, it did get nominated despite what you think about it it did get nominated for a, an academy award for best original screenplay yes in, uh, in 1956 it lost to the red balloon which i you know i i the oscars sometimes i just don't fully understand their rules because the red balloon is a short film it's 34 yeah. minutes long how that got nominated for uh any Oscars other than like in the short category, I never fully understand like why that happens yeah, sometimes. But totally the agree. Red Balloon actually was nominated and won for Best Original Screenplay. I really enjoy the Red Balloon. I you know that was a film I grew up watching. They played it, I swear, every year when I was in school at some point. And uh, I think it's very magical. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's I don't know. Putting a thirty-four minute film short film up against a bunch of features, I just find strange. I absolutely agree with you. Yes. Um, it did win uh, uh, Best uh, Screenplay uh, for the BAFTAs in 1955. It won, and uh, uh, yeah, William Rose took home a BAFTA for that. And I believe he uh, he actually won an Oscar for Guess Who's Coming to, Get to Dinner in 1967 and was nominated again for uh, Genevieve and the Russians are coming, the Russians are coming. So he's, you know, definitely had his his touch of Oscar and BAFTA and award uh, nominations and wins. So uh, are there other awards that this film should have won? I don't know if there's anything else that I would say that it should have won. I, I mean, right. I, you know, other than, I, you know, I personally just found Alec Guinness and this strange character... Just absolutely riveting, and especially after watching him play such a variety of characters that we've seen over the last few uh, films of his, uh, whether it's all eight of the characters he played in Kind Hearts and Coronets, or either of the, the characters that he played in Lavender Hill Mob or Man of the White Suit, 
this is just such a change and to see him taking on such a an interesting character i mean there's there's reason that he was uh, such kind of as as i saw in one movie poster called the titan of comedy at the time i mean he really was somebody who just had a knack for creating indelible characters and just and doing unique things that i i mean i really enjoyed him in this role and i can see why in the cohen version why they uh, chose to have Tom Hanks really kind of do something very similar. Some people say it didn't work. I actually enjoyed Tom Hanks quite a bit in that. I thought it was really fun to see him doing something so uh, different than what he had done in the past, um, despite uh, whatever other problems the film may may have had in its uh, adaptation. But um, Alec Guinness, I think... This was just further proof to me that he is definitely somebody that is worth talking about and worth looking at the stuff that this guy can do. And then, gosh, you look at all the David Lean films that he's done or you look at just all these other amazing films that he was a part of. I mean, this is a man who has done just amazing, amazing films and lots of just wild, amazing performances that definitely should be seen. I I absolutely agree. I think that his uh, he is just like he's putty on screen. I mean, he is just every time I see him, he's somebody so dramatically different. There is no, you know. I think that's you know you see a, a, a Liam Neeson, you know Tom Cruise, like the big actors we have right now. Um, like you you see them and they are them on screen. And I don't think there is. I mean, it's there is no Alec Guinness. It's very rare to see to have that malleable of an actor come along. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, gosh, it is hard to say like who who does that uh, changes themselves uh, up so much to that point where they really just take on a completely different persona so effectively, truly. Uh, it, this was just a, a, you know, in that respect, and I absolutely agree with you. I think his professor is is really fantastic, and and it's a great character for me. This film falls uh, falls apart because it's it doesn't live up to its promise of actually being a dark comedy. It's just dark. It's more of a dark slog. Uh, with so a, sayeth a, you. <laughs> a few comic moments. I am stunned. I am stunned, nay, stunned to see everywhere I turn around. Total Film votes Lady Killer's 36th greatest comedy of all time. The Guardian labels it fifth greatest comedy of all time. Of all time is a really long time. Maybe you're constipated when you watched this. <laughs> <laughs> I will thank you, sir, to leave my bowels out of this discussion. Oh, well, I think it's worthy of all of those. I had a great time watching Fifth it. Greatest I, comedy of all time? Have you seen okay, the trailer maybe, of Ted 2? Not fifth. <laughs> my point has been made. Thank you. <laughs> uh, fifth. That no, okay. seems a little I, I, bit extreme. That high. I would not put it that high. But that being said, I do think this was just a, a great comedy. And uh, I would recommend people watch it and enjoy the black comedy of it and just enjoy the, the Britishness of the wonderful Mrs. Wilberforce and uh, these five fantastic criminals because I think it's, uh, I think it's a great romp. And it's, uh, just, it's a very dark and fun uh, crime film. 
I would say all of those things that you just said are the reasons to watch this, except for uh, leave out anything about fun, comedy, or funny. And then your expectations will be appropriately set. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So you're really selling it. I'm trying to make it so that people don't, because I sold it, I think I sold it unfairly to my wife. I said, it's a comedy. And she said, no, it's not funny. Uh, and so that's fine. I, I get dark comedies. I get this one. This one didn't didn't live up to that. But I do agree with you that it's worth seeing. This is a film that is worth seeing. It's better than Rush. Wow. It's... <laughs> yes, it is. Most things are, though. <laughs> Uh, how do you, did you like any of these Ealing uh, films? Did you find any uh, information on money? This I could find uh, just diddly squat about it. I mean, it was I was lucky I could even find the release date for this one. <laughs> I, it's it's really strange how little information is actually out there for this stuff, which is really sad. I mean, I, I'm very curious. I mean, these were very popular films. I would love to get a sense of how they actually did, but it's just not out there. So. Alas. I think it's time we rank it. Well, let's do it. <laughs> Head over to FlickChart, everybody. FlickChart.com slash the next reel. And uh, you can take a look at our list of very favorite movies. Movies by era, by decade, by genre. And uh, see if your favorite movies stack up to our favorite movies. And uh, join us, friend us, like us, whatever it is you need to do. We want to see your movies, too. Here we go. The Lady Killers. This is going to be hard. I have a feeling that uh, it's going to be a lot of coin flips on this one. Thanks. The Lady Killers or Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? <laughs> oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I would say Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh, good. Okay. Well, we're See, off it's to not, a it's rollicking not, good start. It's not in the top five comedies, but I, you know, I still really enjoy The Lady Killers. The Lady Killers or The Sandlot? I would do The Lady Killers. Do you know what? You I, would too. I would too. Do you see, Andy, there is common ground between us. It shocks me, though. Based on your your words, I was expecting this way at the bottom. The Lady Killers <laughs> or Pale Rider? Pale Rider. I would do the Lady Killers. How much would you do the Lady Killers? I would absolutely do them. I would absolutely do Pale Rider. All right, let's it's, do it. It's throwdown time. Are you ready? I'm ready. One. One. Two. two three, three. Scissors. Rock. Dang it, every stinking time. We need a new game. That's right. I, you know, Vegas Vacation was a terrible movie, but I loved the fact that they go to this <laughs> casino where they are gambling, playing rock, paper, scissors. That, <laughs> that sequence made the whole thing, the whole painful experience worthwhile. <laughs> oh. All right, the lady killers are when Harry met Sally. When Harry Met Sally, I will say. I would also say When Harry Met Sally. All right. The Lady Killers or the Maltese Falcon? You're going to say The Lady Killers. I'm going to say The Maltese Falcon. I'm going to say The Maltese Falcon. Andy? I. These are great movies. The Lady Killers or Driving Miss Daisy? Driving Miss Daisy. I would say I would probably go with The Lady Killers. Well, that's kind of a probably on your part. It is a, it is a probably... I'll give you that. I'll go with Driving Miss Daisy. See, I'm I'm given a little bit. I, I wish we weren't in such violent agreement all the time. <laughs> Why I oughta. <laughs> the Lady Killers are 500 Days of Summer. 500 Days, 500 of, summer. days of Summer. Yeah. The Lady Killers are Field of Dreams. You know which one I'm going to oh, go with. <laughs> hell. 
Field, Field of, of Dreams. Dreams. There you go. All right, look at that. 106 out of 169. And only one RPS. I was kind of surprised. I'm I was really expecting that. I think if it had gotten above uh, you know the, it, the that first drawing, I think it would have been all <laughs> yeah, all battles from that point forward. But you know, I I feel good about it in here. You know, I I think it's fine. I still like all of the movies surrounding it, so I have no problem with it being 106. Me too. It didn't break 100. That feels good to me. (laughs) (laughs) Where do we go next week, Andrew? We are stepping away from our this little early early stretch of Alec Guinness in the Ealing Studios films. We're going to go a few years and we're going to uh, check him out in Murder by Death. I really I really like this movie. I worry that I like it uh, in sort of guilty pleasure category. <laughs> I hope I don't because I I played just the opening credits of it and I was just like I got I was so tickled. I'm excited to see this. I've never seen it before. So uh, Neil Simon wrote it. You know, it seems like there's a lot of good things going for it. It was better than Clue. Let's definitely definitely say that. Clue is one of my my favorite guilty pleasures. It is mine, too. It it was absolutely mine. I can't believe it. We're going to pick the same movie this year, aren't we? Totally are. Totally are. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, so this is this is a big twenty one year jump in Alec Guinness's career, and I think we ended up doing this because uh, I think we just well I think you really just wanted to throw it in there, but uh, as opposed to just doing all early Alec Guinness, we wanted to throw one that was a little bit later because this is right before Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars came out in seventy seven. This yeah. was seventy six. Yes, and it's a very uh, very different role for him than yeah. Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Yep. Me neither. Until then, Andrew, Mm. I got to go to bed. I've got a lady to kill. Four stars by Hap Hill 3. Good. Wow. That's that's it. I love the the time that people spend building these reviews. I mean, I bet I bet that person really, really just really well, dwelt on finding the right word. You know, the mark of a of a great editor is somebody who knows uh when to stop taking things out. <laughs> Do you know what? I want I, I want you to stop stop listening right now and rewind just a little bit and just listen to that again because I guarantee you there's wisdom in there. <laughs> what, what's uh, what's yours? Mine is uh, it's it's a one star uh, by a customer who says, absolutely terrible film. This movie is not in the least bit funny. 
they they clearly were watching <laughs> over my shoulder <laughs> i found it excruciatingly tedious and boring to watch it ranks as one of the worst films i have ever seen if you're a fan of the pink panther series don't bother with this piece of trash so clearly this person uh, and then it, you know some fun comments uh after this the uh the one was uh what was the one that referred to the pink panther um and what does the Pink Panther have to do with this movie, except for the coincidental fact that Peter Sells and Herbert Lahm are actors in the movie as well as the Pink Panthers? It's, it, yeah, it just is. It's very That's funny. Awesome. Clearly, it was somebody who just was enjoying the Pink Panther movies. And hey, these two guys happen to be in this movie too. I'll watch it. Oh, yeah, this is not related. <laughs> Where's the jewel heist? Where's the Pink Panther cartoon at the beginning? Ay, ay, ay. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle, or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. Okay, we're going to do a little game. I'm going to name a series from season four, and you try to guess how many movies from it were adaptations. Didn't we just do this in season three? We're going to do this one as a speed round. Here we go. Terry Gilliam. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Jason Reitman. Labor Day. Comedy by the Brothers Cohen. Oh, brother. Stephen King. Ah, uh, the Shining, uh, Cujo, The Dead Zone, App Pupil, Misery, Stand By Me. What else did we cover? Oh, you got one more on Audible. Carpenter? Ah, Christine! Christine! Hey, you got it. We've covered lots of great movies that started as books, and most of those are on Audible. Books like The Exorcist, Requiem for a Dream, The Bishop's Wife, The Poseidon Adventure, Syriana, Million Dollar Baby, L.A. Confidential, Double Indemnity, Detour, The Thin Man. So many great movies from so many great sources. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them, so now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it, too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.